You are listening to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Sevierville, where our mission is helping people move from their point of need to hope in Christ. For more information about our church, head on over to severe.church. Today's sermon is part two of the series, What's Your Word for 2023, shared by Senior Pastor Dan Spencer. Last week, I shared with you my word for 2023. And I used to be uh, the kind of guy who would write down many different uh, New Year's resolutions at the beginning of the year. Uh, It became impossible to keep track of. Sometimes I had as many as 10 New Year's resolutions to start the year with. And, uh, and of course, it, uh, it didn't last very long. It's just too much. I've found that a single word can lead to habits and changes and rhythms uh, that uh, really last a lot longer than a New Year's resolution. And so this year, I prayed about a word, a single word, that uh, would summarize my focus and my commitment for 2023. And so I'm going to ask you, do you have a word for 2023? Uh, A lot of people have shared in the last couple of weeks with me on social media what their word is. Some have come up to me this morning and told me. uh, I've heard things like serve. Uh, One person said, my word is discipline. Uh, Probably five or six different people have told me, my word is intentional. Uh, Someone else said, present. I just want to be present with the people I love this year. Uh, Someone else said, kindness. Another said, my word is listen. That's a good word. Uh, Someone else said, gratitude. Uh, This is a good one. Uh, Somebody told me last night, available is their word. I just want to be available. Uh, for the Lord to use. And then I guess the one that tops them all, uh, someone uh, told me on Facebook, my word for this year is Jesus. And uh, it doesn't get any better than that, does it? I wanted to share my word with you for 2023 for the purpose of accountability uh, so that you can hold me to it throughout the year. And so my word for this year is authentic. Uh, And I'll tell you why. It's because I don't want to become the kind of pastor who serves out of obligation and does just enough to get by. I want it to be real. I want it to come from the heart. I don't want to be a pastor who serves without joy. I don't want to be a pastor who's whiny and entitled. I don't want to be a pastor who preaches things I don't practice and challenges you to do things I'm not willing to do myself, and and who puts on a religious act when people are watching me. I want it to be real. Uh, I want it to come from the heart. I want to be an authentic man of God, whether I'm standing on this platform or at home with my wife. And so uh, I've been looking at Matthew chapter 23. I began there last week. I want you to turn there with me now again. Matthew 23. And, and I want you to join with me in learning from Jesus about what it means to be authentic. And uh, Lord willing, next week, I'm going to begin a series of sermons from the next two chapters, Matthew 24 and 25. Uh, where Jesus talks about what's going to happen in the end. 
in the end times. And I'm calling it begin with the end in mind. Uh, so that literally at the beginning of this year, we're going to look at what Jesus said is coming and how this is all going to wrap up in this world and how humanity is going to, to uh, come to a conclusion. And so uh, I think if we do that here at the beginning of the year and get some clarity on what's coming at the end, then it will help us to live with a greater purpose for what really matters today. And, and so, Lord willing, that's next week. But here at the beginning of 23, let's go to Matthew 23. And I'm going to pick up where I left off last week with verse 13. Matthew 23, 13. And take a deep breath. I'm going to read all the way through verse 33, okay? It's a long section. Settle in. This is the words of Jesus that comprise his final public sermon. And uh, so at this point, Jesus is in the temple. He's, he's preaching to the crowds and to his disciples. It's the last time he's going to do that publicly. And, uh, and in fact, this is three days. When he says this, it's three days before Jesus is arrested and beaten and crucified. And it's his last public sermon. Here's what he says. Verse 13. He says, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers, therefore you will receive greater condemnation." Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he's obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by all things on it. He who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous 
and say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Wow. This chapter records uh, the, the harshest words that Jesus ever said to anyone in Scripture. You won't find anything more direct or more harsh. Jesus is blasting the Jewish leadership in that day, the scribes and the Pharisees. He was pronouncing judgment. And listen to this. Think of how this must have hit as uh, the crowds were listening to him. Uh, Jesus was pronouncing judgment on the most well-respected people in the nation of Israel. I mean, these were the most admired people in the whole nation. They, they were the models. People looked at them as models of how to have a relationship with God. And yet, Jesus just blessed them and makes it clear that the holiness and the righteousness and the goodness of these leaders was not real. In fact, they were only pretending to be godly. It was all an act. In fact, over and over, Jesus uses a word uh, about acting. It's the Greek word hypocrites or hypocrites. Uh, someone who acts on a stage holding a mask in front of their face, pretending to be somebody else. And Jesus said, that's what these people are doing. He began to expose them for who they were. He unmasked them with his very words of truth and judgment. Now, uh, did you hear as I read all the names Jesus was calling these spiritual leaders? I mean, he's not holding back. He called them snakes. He called them fools. Five times, Jesus called them blind. Uh, these were men who were supposed to know uh, the way to go. And they were supposed to be the ones who perceived and saw the way that God wanted us to live. And yet Jesus said, uh, you're blind. Those claims are false. You don't really know anything. You don't know where you're going. And you're leading others astray. Six times, Jesus used that word hypocrite. There were just actors. Eight times, Jesus uses the word, uh, in his language, it's pronounced uah. Uh, we, we, we write it out woe, W-O-E. It's an English word we don't use very often. But it's a word that means sorrow and doom. And over and over, Jesus said to these people, woe to you, doom on you. Uh, Jesus used that word, I think, as a word of judgment. And uh, for us... Those words become a warning. He was judging their hypocrisy. And through the word of God, he's warning us against that kind of hypocrisy. And in that way, encouraging us to live authentically. Uh, so uh, let me give you today some warnings from Jesus uh, based on this passage. Let me just walk through it in this way. First of all, Hypocrisy, and this is the warning of Jesus. Hypocrisy distorts the gospel. Uh, look back to verse 13. 
Jesus said, you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. You neither go in yourselves nor allow those who are entering in. Here's what I think he meant by that. These religious leaders who were hypocritical, they were shutting the door of salvation in people's faces by giving them uh, not the word of God, but all of these hundreds and hundreds of rules and requirements and prohibitions against all kinds of things. And, and, and their, their message was this. Look, if you obey all of our rules and if you meet all of our requirements, you will earn God's love and God will owe you salvation. And they, they impressed on people. This is how it works. Keep all the rules Check off all the lists, do what we tell you to do, all these hundreds of things, do's and don'ts. If you do, God will owe you love and salvation. And it was all works, all human effort, no grace. And, and here's the deal. The Pharisees pretended to keep all those rules and, and do all that perfectly. But in reality, they weren't doing any better than the people they taught. They were just better actors. And here, here's how this hits me as a pastor, all right? Here's my reaction. God help me to never be guilty of that, distorting the gospel. The gospel that saves is not Jesus plus a list of good works that I come up with. It's not Jesus plus agreeing with all of our views. It's not Jesus plus uh, joining this particular church. It's not Jesus plus anything else. The gospel that saves is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And we just can't distort that gospel by piling onto it rules and requirements like the Pharisees did. Because the truth is, they taught the law, but they didn't keep the law. They didn't do it. They were all talk. And, and that keeps people from coming to Christ. It comes off as fake. If I'm teaching you, do all this stuff, and I'm not doing it myself. Hypocrisy distorts the gospel in that way. But authenticity keeps it real. That's why I'm telling you, I want to be authentic I just want to keep it real and, and keep it the way Jesus taught it, not adding on all this other stuff. I don't want to distort it. So don't you let me, right? Hold me to that. Uh, number two, Jesus warns that hypocrisy destroys our integrity. Uh, in verses 16 through 22, uh, it's a crazy section. It's kind of a tongue twister, reading all of the detail there where uh, Jesus points out the scribes and Pharisees had developed a complicated system of swearing oaths that either strengthened or weakened the promise that they made or, or what they said they were going to do. Uh, I remember as a kid, maybe you did this too, that we had this, this rule that if you made a promise but you were crossing your fingers while you made it, it didn't count. Anybody else do that? And then when I was a kid, I don't know how it is today, if you, were, if you were saying something that was absolutely infallible and true that you promised you were going to do, you would say, look, I swear on my grandma's grave. And it didn't get any more serious than that. 
What the scribes and Pharisees were doing here was about as silly as that. They'd created all these loopholes that let them lie and break promises and say things they didn't mean and sound really spiritual while they were saying it. Uh, I only swore by the gold of the temple. I didn't swear by the temple itself, so it really doesn't count. Fingers crossed. But here's the deal. Swearing an oath could not compensate for their lousy integrity. These were not promise keepers. These were liars and promise breakers. Now, uh, I said this last week. This passage is not a guide so that uh, we can look at it and pick out who's a hypocrite in this church. It's more like a mirror that we look into and say, well, what about me? And so I made a little list of how I've really done the same thing that they did. When I say things that that I really don't mean, like right here in this worship center, hey, I'll be praying for you and have no follow-up and no intention of really doing that. Or somebody says, hey, how's it going? Oh, I'm okay when I'm not okay. Or saying, hey, I'll try to make it when I know I don't have any intention of trying to make it. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 37. He said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. So here's what's going to happen. If we stop pretending and lying and excusing ourselves and just be real and just be authentic and tell the truth and mean what we say, say what we mean, we won't have to qualify what we say because we will be believable. This is something that just repels people from Christianity, from church, from the Bible, is if we claim things that we do not follow up on and we say things that we really don't live out. And so uh, hypocrisy destroys integrity, but authenticity is believable. Authenticity is believable. I want to keep it authentic. Warning number three, hypocrisy replaces godliness with religious busyness. Now, watch this. In verses 23 and 24, Jesus talks about how the uh, scribes and Pharisees were really meticulous and, and obsessed with the tiniest little thing that they felt like they had to tithe. Now, uh, the tithe is a biblical concept. God It means 10%. God had instructed in his law that his people were to bring a tenth or a tithe of all the crops that they grew. If they grew, uh, you know, 50 50 bushels of wheat, then they owed God five. That was their tithe on that. And and if, if they made a certain amount of money in a deal, then God would get 10% of that. And, uh, and so God instructed that his people should do that. But listen to this. Jesus pointed out these hypocrites took it to the degree where they were obsessed with the tiniest tithe. They would tithe their, uh, from their little herb gardens in the windowsill. They, they would tithe their anise seeds and their cumin seeds. I don't know if you've ever seen those. I looked it up. They're tiny little things. Uh, can you imagine these guys 
hunched over their counter and they're, they're going through this tedious process of counting the seeds and making sure, well, I've got 230, God needs to get exactly 23. And I guess that dedication is admirable, but the problem was, listen to this, Jesus said, you're counting seeds, but you're neglecting people. Jesus said, you should tithe, but don't get so obsessed with the trivial things that you forget about people. Jesus came for people. Uh, Jesus said, you need to pay attention to bringing justice to those who are overlooked and cast aside and lost. Bring mercy to those who are suffering and hurting. Be, bring love and kindness to those who are in need, that should be our focus. And to drive home this point, Jesus uses some humor. He says, it's like you strain out a gnat and then swallow a camel. Now, that, that, the story behind that is that these scribes and Pharisees were so intent that they never would eat anything that's non-kosher, like a bug, that they would, just in case a gnat landed in their wine or their water, they would strain it through gauze into a cup and then drink from that, just to be sure. And Jesus said, well, you know, good, but it's like you're straining out a gnat and then you're eating a camel whole. That's not kosher either. And, and so he, he showed just how ridiculous it was. Here's what he's doing. Jesus is emphasizing the idea that we can become so busy with the little details of the church schedule and little details of uh, the finer points of theology and checking off our list of things that good Christians do that we miss the point of all of this and we miss the mission to reach people. And, and here is, here's where this hits me as a pastor. What good is it if I spend time in my study parsing every Greek verb in this chapter, but then I go home and neglect my neighbor who's just dying for a kind word and a friend, what have I really accomplished? Who cares if I know all the words to the worship songs we sing here, but I'm a jerk at work and I'm grumpy with my family? And, and what good have I really done if I preach good doctrine, but I overlook the lost people and the hurting people and the struggling people in our community that we could help in Jesus' name and lead them to Christ? So uh, hypocrisy replaces godliness with religious busyness, but authenticity keeps the main thing the main thing. And I'm determined to do that. I want to keep the main thing, the main thing. Not getting off in the weeds of everything else we could do and all the detail. But keeping it focused on what Jesus said was important. Righteousness, mercy, faith. Warning number four. Hypocrisy focuses on covering up sin. This is a big one. This is a big one. Hypocrisy focuses on covering up sin. Uh, in verses 25 through 28, uh, Jesus talked about this and he said, uh, you know, you, you, 
uh, religious leaders, you look great on the outside, but on the inside, you're, you're dirty. Uh, you, you cleanse the outside of the cup, but the inside is still crusty and gross. And that's what your lives are like. That's what he said. These scribes and Pharisees were like uh, these restaurants that have fancy furnishings and expensive menus and plush carpet, but they score a 55 on their health department inspection. And, and so Jesus was getting at this. The image these people portray is so impressive, but Jesus, with divine insight, looked behind the mask and he saw what they were like on the inside and what he saw was not pretty. They were full of sin. And here's the deal. The only way to be cleansed of sin is to admit it and repent of it and turn to God. But the scribes and Pharisees were not willing to do that. Uh, if they did, they would have to admit that they weren't perfect. If they owned it, they would have to admit all our good works are ineffective. If they admitted it, they would have to admit, I need God's grace and God's forgiveness. And they, they weren't willing to do that. And so they spent enormous amounts of energy covering up the, the filth and the death that sin brought into their lives on the inside. And that's what hypocrisy always does. It focuses on covering up sin so everybody thinks I'm great. But authenticity, on the other hand, focuses on being cleansed from sin. And the only way that happens is when we humble ourselves before a holy God and we say, God, I have failed. God, you're pointing this out in my life. I agree and I want to be rid of this sin. I'm not going to try to cover it up and fake it. I want real forgiveness and cleansing. And I want to be right with you. And the only way to do that is humility and repentance and faith in God. Last warning is this. Hypocrisy rejects correction and denies the need for repentance. So here's where I see that. In verses 29 through 33... Uh, Jesus is talking about how the, the ancestors of these religious leaders had killed the prophets that God sent to correct them. Uh, these prophets would be sent by God and they would come and tell the people, you're not living right, you're forgetting God, you're living in sin, you need to turn back to God, repent of your sin. Uh, but the people didn't like what they heard. They knew the changes that would bring about in their lives if they heeded that warning. And so they became violent and they silenced the prophets that killed them. And in verse 33, Jesus said, look, that kind of hypocrisy is going to lead you to hell. So the tragedy of hypocrisy is that you may fool your family and your friends but you're not going to fool God. And you really can't fool yourself. You know if you're authentic or not. I know if it's real or if I'm faking it. And here's the thing. If, if you live a lie behind a mask of religious activity and, and spiritual sounding words, you end up missing out on an authentic 
true relationship with Christ. And that's the greatest tragedy of all. Hypocrisy rejects correction and denies the need for repentance. But listen, authenticity just owns it. Okay, Lord, I get it. this, This is a place in my life where I'm not right with you. Here's a place I'm being hypocritical. This is a place I've, I've, I've shut you out. And, and this can't continue. I, I own it. This is my sin. And I'm turning from that. And I'm turning in faith to you. I repent. And that's where real. That's where being real begins. Authenticity owns it. So here's the thing. Uh, I've been preaching to myself this whole time. Okay. And thank you for allowing me the time to do that. I need to do it. I don't want to fake it. I want to be real. And so in front of you, my church family, I'm making this commitment that, listen, I just need to make it in a fresh way at this age and stage of my life. I'm 55 years old. I've been a pastor for 30 years. And I got to tell you, hypocrisy is an occupational hazard. That the more times you stand in front of a a church and tell people how they ought to live, the more tempted you are to think, you know, I'm I'm a little bit better than everybody else. Or this really doesn't apply to me. Or, you know, I, I give so much that people ought to treat me better or whatever. And that's hypocrisy. I don't want to be that, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that pastor. And so this is my commitment. What about you? Today, you may say, you know what? I'm sick of it too. I'm tired of pretending. I'm tired of an empty profession of faith. Uh, I'm I'm tired of wearing a kind of a Christian mask. And I want the real thing. I want an authentic relationship with God. And if that's you, I've got good news for you today. Today. That our God is a God of love, and He gets it, He understands, He loves you anyway, and He loves to forgive and to restore. And so I want to invite you uh, today, if you need to be saved, to come in just a moment and let one of our pastors lead you and talk to you about the gospel, and you can be saved today. Uh, It could be that there are some of you who are have the same tendency as me and you would say you know what Dan I'm I'm like you I have this tendency to just just sort of fake it and and I don't want that either and so I want to I want to just confess that to God make a new commitment I want to be authentic in my life uh, in my relationships in my as I practice my faith in my prayer life the things I say about the Lord I want it all to be real and, and I'm not, I'm not going to fake that anymore. If so, I'm going to invite you uh, to come in just a moment, kneel in the altar here, pray that prayer, make that confession to God, nail that down. And then, listen, by God's grace, let's go out into this new year and be real for God's glory. Amen? All right, let's stand together. And uh, let me ask, uh, as we...
uh, go to prayer, and then as we begin to sing, and our pastors are going to be standing here ready to help you with whatever decision God's laid on your heart, or just right there where you are, pray. If you need someone to talk to, you can uh, go on your phone to severe.church slash follow up. And as soon as we can, one of our pastors will get back with you on that. Uh, we just want to be here for you to help you. But listen, while God is moving and, and speaking to your heart right now, why don't you come now? And, and we're here to, to help you and to, to uh, pray with you and to lead you. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And Lord Jesus, I just want to say thank you for shooting straight and being so direct that we can't miss the point. For your glory, for the sake of the testimony of this church in this community, for the people we love, for those who are depending on us to get the gospel to them, God, we want it to be authentic. We want to be real. Help us. For that person who's lost in their sin, I pray today is their day of salvation. I pray you'd bring them, Lord, just lead them, draw them to the front here, to one of our pastors to get that right today. Lord, for those who are going to come and pray prayers of repentance and confession, I pray you would bless as we do that. We want you to have the glory here today. And so we pray that you would lead us, help us to respond well in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's... Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and share. And if you want a pastor to follow up with you regarding today's message, reach out to us at severe.church slash follow up. Thanks again for joining us on the First Baptist Church Severeville podcast.